All right, uh, this is um, the top of the page. This agree or disagree, this will get us into what we had talked about with God's providence. Talking about um, God's creating activity, which is chapter six. Agree or, or disagree, Jesus would have escaped if it hadn't been for Judas. First one. Yeah, we talked about that one last time. Oh, yeah. Let's go on. Um, the, one that, the one that I had was, uh, what evidence does God give that he does not concur morally in the evil that is in the world? Otherwise, we'll, yeah, we'll skip ahead to angels. It's all right with you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. We'll go ahead to the angels. All right. How about the angels? List as many characteristics of the angels that you can think of. What is one characteristic of an angel? All right, they're messengers. That is the actual name. The angel, angelus, meaning a messenger. The, they don't reproduce. Um, from Matthew 19, that um, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven, talking about the resurrection. All right, they can, yeah, they can appear as, as humans, um, take the form of a human. Um, so like the, the three men who visited Abraham with Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's a ranking among the angels. Um, we don't, we don't know what, how exactly that ranking works. And we only hear of one archangel, uh, archangel Michael, which might be just a term like a rank, like general or colonel or something like that. Um, anything else that we know about angels? Yeah. All right. They, yeah, they are limited to a particular time and space the same way that a human is. Um, although it is, I don't think I'd go so far as to say that they take up space the way that humans do. Um, so they are, they are, they are limited. Um, so like the way that we talk about heaven or the way that we talk about hell as they are right now is that heaven is an illocal place where it's an actual place, but it doesn't take up space. Um, and I think by analogy, we can speak of angels very much the same way, that they're actual beings who are limited in time and space, but they actually have a particular time and space, even if they don't take up space the same way that we do, or if they, that they aren't bound by space and the laws of physics the same way that we are. Anything else that we know about angels? Yeah. Yeah, they have personalities. Um, so there we are, we're also talking about personhood. Um, like a, they are individuals, not just this mass of angels together, but they, that each one has like, you know, its own particular name, um, and something that, you know, is maybe unique about that, that person, um, talking about, and, and I think that's, you know, I'd have to look at that one in particular. Anything else about angels that we have? Yeah, some have wings, some have, some have many wings, like the, the seraphim. In, um, in Isaiah chapter six, with two, they covered their faces, with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying. Um, or the angels that we see in Ezekiel one and two, that they've got eyes all around, like eyes underneath their wings and eyes all around. And so um, the, the beautiful pictures like precious moments, angels, or, you know, the images like paintings or whatever of the angels appearing to the, the shepherds 
well, maybe there's more than one reason why they're terrified. You know, they're not just terrified that here's a holy angel appearing out of nowhere, but now this angel has like six wings or maybe more with eyes all over the place or looks like blazing fire. Like that's terrifying too. Um, the, the seraphim are kind of described that way, that they, that they look like fire. Any others? Um, the cherubim, and we hear about that all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, that God put a cherubim at the entrance to the, uh, the Garden of Eden and a flashing sword, flaming sword back and forth, um, which is kind of interesting um, where the term cherub is uh is singular like a singular cherub cherubim or cherubim is uh is the hebrew version of plural so the i am ending is means that is plural so did god put like you know like a, a company of angels there or you know a, a squad of angels <laughs> camped out at the the entrance to the garden of eden because he describes it as cherubim or cherubim um, cause I don't think he gives us a precise number for how many he has camping, had camping out outside the garden of Eden. Yeah. Um, destroyed in the flood. I think that's the, the most logical explanation. Um, because there's, there's no note of it being destroyed beforehand, although people could not get into it. Um, and, and, and if it was, if it did persist until the flood and then it was finally destroyed, or maybe it, you know eventually fell apart because it was subject to decay like the rest of creation. Uh, I think that's a possibility too. Um, but that makes it all the more astonishing that the whole world, you know, up until, up until the flood was, had turned away from God. And it's like, you know, that this is reality. You can go to the place where at, that Adam is talking about, and Adam is still here for like eight or nine generations afterwards, you know, nearly a millennium that he, he lived for 930 years. Um, as a full-grown man. <laughs> yeah. Anything else about the angels? Yeah. What do you think? Agree or disagree? It is possible that someone we meet who is unexpectedly kind and caring, especially, especially when we are in trouble, is an angel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As TV says. You know, the, the, that series touched by an angel. That was when I was going through catechism. So that was like a weekly discussion, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hebrews chapter 13. Um, don't be afraid to entertain strangers for by so doing some have entertained angels. Um, so yeah, it's definitely possible. Um, and, you know, pastorally, you know, there have been, I know that there have been other pastors who have encountered this, um, or, you know, people just kind of tell you their, their stories because you're, oh, you're, you're a ref. Let me tell you my story. What do you think of this? Um, and the two that, that kind of stick out in my mind, at least right now, um, was one of our pastors who had been a missionary down in Antigua, uh, Larry Zessen, and he's, you know, among the saints triumphant now. Um, he had been the director of a youth camp when I was a kid as well. And so he was living in Antigua and he and his family and, uh, and their you know, son and their daughter named Beth. And the, the interesting thing about the, like the accents in Antigua was that the natives couldn't say the TH. Instead of saying Beth, they would say Bet, Bet. And, uh, and so one night, you know, he's, he's reading, you know, newspaper, or whatever in the front living room and the kids are in bed. And then, um, and then his daughter, here's, here's something. And somebody says, Beth, Beth. 
And after a while she wakes up and then she had realized that, you know, somebody had tried, had come in through her window and was in her room. And so she screamed as, as anybody would in that condition. And dad comes running and the guy takes off and he chases the guy for a little bit. Then he's like, what am I doing? What, what do I do if I catch this guy? <laughs> he comes back to his house and he's like, what happened? You just heard him at the window. And she's like, no, I heard somebody call my name, Beth, Beth, you know, why did, if you knew he was here, dad, why don't you just come and, you know, take care of things? Why'd you just wake me up? And he's like, you know, it wasn't him and nobody else on the Island could really pronounce that TH sound. And so he's like, within his own heart and personally convinced that that was an angel that woke her up, which is, you know, perfectly plausible, um, given what we know about angels. Um, that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, that he sends his angels to protect, you know, protect God's people. Um, there was a, there was a similar case where like a family, you know, husband and wife were pulling their RV down through the mountains in you know, like Colorado or something. And, um, and their brakes caught fire and a car pulled up, you know, like a police officer pulled them over and, uh, and said, your brakes are on fire. You need to put that out. And, and they're like, oh yeah, sure. And, um, they put it out and get on their way again or move over. And eventually another state trooper comes up and says, I'm so glad that, that you pulled over. Cause that was like, you know, could have been really bad for you if it kept going. Cause your, your RV was starting on fire and they're like, yeah, we're so thankful that, that, uh, that, that other officer pulled over and pulled us over and told us that our RV was on fire. And he's like, I saw you the whole way and there wasn't another officer there. <laughs> it's like, it's like, huh. And I, I think that's what most of touched by an angel kind of traded in is, uh, is those kind of stories where there's, there's something to it because, um, on the whole, you and I are so are, don't live in the, the realm of the spiritual that we don't see the spiritual forces around us for good or for evil. Um, I guess to, to balance that out, you know, what else do we know about angels that the demons are fallen angels who are confirmed in their unholiness and, um, and they are, you know, um, forever under God's, God's condemnation from the moment that they rejected God and their place within God's creation. And, um, this would probably be about 50 years ago by now, uh, when Sigbert Becker, maybe 45 years ago, when Dr. Becker was writing his book, wizards that peep which is a fantastic little, little book about wizardry, witchcraft, and Satanism. Um, he, he had an office in his house, like a lot of parsonages or, you know, professor houses have. And, um, and he told his kids that, you know, this is one time when dad closes his office door, you need to leave it closed until I come out. Um, not because he needed to concentrate so much, but because the, the task of writing the book was, unusually difficult in comparison to the other things that he had written and that he didn't want his children even you know, being exposed in any way to whatever it was that he had to write or was, was dealing with at the time. Yeah. And I guess the, the, the only other one that I think I talked about in either in a Bible class or in a sermon talked about the, the evil side um, was the father, you know, Armin Schutze, so I think he's, he had recently passed away, I think. Um, otherwise he's a little over 100 and he, you know, fresh out of the seminary was, um, or maybe one of his classmates was doing some door to door visits down in Florida in the heat of summer. And this was kind of pre air conditioning days. So everybody had their windows open and, um, and he gets to this house and knocks on the door 
And, uh, and the guy opens the door and the house is frigid. And he says, Oh, Pastor Schutze, I've been inviting you. Come on in. <laughs> like, time out. The windows are open. It's 110. This guy knows my name, even though I just walked up his sidewalk. Um, and so, that, I mean, that was a fairly clear cut case of demon possession. Um, where when we talk about talk about demon possession, I don't know, I think this is the only place where, where we really talk about angels. And so probably the, the place where it'd be most fitting to talk about demon possession. Uh, when we talk about demon possession, um, a couple of things that we kind of look for are, you know, a, first of all, unknown knowledge, you know, things that they wouldn't otherwise know, um, or unknown abilities, things that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. You know, like the the garrison demoniac that he's able to break the chains that they chain him with, um, or you know, where what do you want with us, Jesus, the son of son of David? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. Um, that those are things that that they know even before talking with Jesus. Um, I think those are the the two big tellers: um, unknown unknown knowledge and unknown abilities of, of different sorts. Um, and kind of a, a third one might be um, like a, a change in a serious change in attitude or, or in mood, um, which is sometimes, you know, sometimes a part of dementia or progression of, of other mental disorders like that. Um, so that's, that's not definitive in and of itself. Um, and so if you want a good image of that, uh, apparently, you know, if you watch the, the old um, exorcist, the original, that is that is a fairly good representation of you know based on actual possession accounts from that little child in Maryland who had who had actually been a member of the Missouri Synod and then they converted to Catholicism I believe um, and as far as you know markers or you know other dangerous dangerous things related to that that um, some of the things that may open the door so to speak to demonic possession are um, you know illicit drug use, for instance, things that take you out of your normal state of mind, um, Ouija boards for, and other, other attempts to contact the spiritual world, um, persistent use of, of other um, sinful substances. Um, and I would include like pornography use within that. Um, or I think those are, those are the, the, big, the big warning signs that, that usually come up. There's only been one case that, that I've encountered, which is more than I would have said 10 years ago. Um, but there's only been one case where I had serious concerns about, you know, demonic possession. Um, but in hindsight, I think it is, it is still explainable as just a part of the progression of dementia um, in that, for that particular person, because none of the other, you know, abilities were there you know, unknown knowledge, unknown ability. Um, sometimes, you know, another one that might be included in that is a, an extreme reaction or revulsion to the word of God. Um, but all that to say, you know, on the one hand, I, I, I would not discount that it could be more prevalent today than we, than we believe. Um, and that secondly, it is something that Christians don't need to worry about. Because, um, you know, aside from, I don't, I don't believe that if you do have a problem with um, illegal substances or other substances, we can talk about that. Let me know. Um, I do some of that counseling as well. But on the whole, you've got Jesus living in your heart. And his parable about the strong man, 
that nobody can rob a strong man's house unless he first ties up the strong man, um, where he, he says that in that parable, that Satan is like a strong man in that he is stronger than you or I uh, by our own natural means and abilities, but that Jesus is stronger and that he invades that house. In other words, that he comes into this person's heart and life and he ties up Satan and evicts him. And, um, and that with Jesus in your heart, that you've got nothing to worry about. Um, as far as demonic possession, I think the, the, only other, the only other note on that is there is one case um, in scripture that is probably just the case of physical possession without, you know, like spiritual possession. There's the case of that woman who was bent over and unable to stand up for a period of like 12 years, um, if I'm remembering that correctly. And Jesus calls to her and refers to her as a daughter of Abraham because he heals her on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are like, come on, it's the Sabbath. Just come any other day to have your demon driven out. <laughs> and, and Jesus says, um, you know, you would, you would help your donkey or your oxen out of a well or a cistern on the Sabbath day. Should not this daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 12 years, be released on the Sabbath day as well? Um, and so in that case, when he calls her a daughter of Abraham, he's explicitly referring to her as a believer. And yet he's also saying that he freed her from the demonic possession that she was experiencing in her body. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I would, I would definitely agree with that. And that's where, um, you know, this came out a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with uh, one of our members and I said, Hey, you know what? I just found out that the County where I grew up in is, is the number one drunkest County in the nation. <laughs> and, and so it's like, on the one hand, we, we talk about alcohol and, and how many people, how many of us have had struggles with alcohol at various points in our lives or for whom it is still a temptation or for whom it is a regular everyday occurrence with the result that we aren't really in our right mind the, the way that we ought to be. Now take that a step further when you drive north of here about 10 miles and, and everything is legal. Well, all, all forms of marijuana are, are legal in the state of Michigan. And I hear the, you know, I hear people say, well, it's a, it's a plant and there's, there's medicinal benefit to it. And there can be for, for a lot of things. Uh, we could probably even make ethanol from it and be completely free from crude oil, you know? Um, at the same time, I would be very cautious that, that our government, which God gave us to be kind of guardrails on behavior, is now condoning and profiting off of people putting themselves into a different state of mind. Because that, that is one of the concerning, concerning data points, like Crystal said, as we kind of <laughs> move in this downward spiral um, of, of a, a slippery slope. That, and that's not a fallacy because we've seen its reality. And, um, and I think that is, that's one of the, the questions or the concerns about the legalization of marijuana, aside from the government profiting off of you know, people's addiction to it. Um, would be, does it alter mental state so that 
even even Christians would be more susceptible to um, demonic influence or even to the point of demonic possession. Yeah. Definitely. Yep. Uh, mm -hmm. It'll change your life in not a good way. And, and I think that's a really good example. <laughs> uh -huh. I was wondering why there was so much more like I'm sure my phone knows that I'm, I'm a white man in my, you know, mid thirties, late thirties. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I know. And then you, you get all this, this gambling advertising. I'm like, I've, I've never visited a gambling site in my life. Why would I want to place a, a bet with sports bets? You know, I don't care about sports. Yeah. I think that's a good point too, because, um, a lot of those things, they, they all end up feeding into the same idea of consumption that, that I'm going to consume my gambling or feed my gambling addiction and whatever I get out of that, instead of, you know, the antithesis of that, and this will be a book one day, the antithesis of that would be that I'm going to have a sober mind and do some creating, do something creative, you know, whether it's, you know, reading my Bible or, you know, polishing a hobby or an art or something like that. Got to work on that book yet. <laughs> uh, how about that last one? Since we know that Jesus conquered Satan, things like talk about witchcraft, playing with the Ouija board, checking the daily horoscope are harmless activities. <laughs> yeah, I think we I think we've covered that. Um, yeah, and and the interesting thing about the horoscope, the I think the only reason why some of it might be kind of interesting would be that it correlates people like in the northern hemisphere to when they would have been, you know developing in utero um to a particular season of the year because there is a little bit of there is a little bit of data that those who those children who are developing during the winter months especially during a colder winter year of winter months have a healthier immune system at the beginning but you know the data is fairly limited and how do you separate it out from everything else Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the casting of the lots and uh, the Urim and the Thummim. Uh, we'll start with that one first. Um, and that was apparently 
um, the high priest had this like breastplate and he had it like his garments and then his breastplate with, with 12 stones on it uh, for representing the 12 tribes of Israel, like 12 precious stones. Um, and apparently it was like a stone, like a pocket. So that inside the pocket, you could have like a, a dark stone and a light stone. And, um, and then if they needed a particular answer, like you aren't, you aren't running to this all the time, but you know, like David asking, should I, should I attack them or should I not? Um, you could go visit the high priest and bring this question before the Lord. Um, it's a very, you know, a very serious thing. It's not just like, I'm waking up one day, you know, should I wear my red socks or my blue socks and, you know, just throw the dice on it. Um, and I think, you know, by, by analogy, Actually, I did talk about this with our catechism kids probably a couple of weeks ago. Um, by analogy, it comes down to like other serious decision making in life um, where, you know, in one, I know of at least one case where, you know, a pastor was deliberating a new call or stay at the current call. And, um, and it came down, he's like, I, you know, I've been sitting on this for a month and, um, and I see all the reasons to go and all the reasons to stay. And it's a, it's a wash. I don't know. And so he, he prayed about it and he said, all right, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just flip a quarter and whatever it lands on, then I'll, I'll go with it. And, um, I'm not going to flip again. <laughs> and, uh, so he flipped it and, you know, heads I go, tails I stay or whatever it was. And, um, and that's what he went with. It wasn't me, <laughs> um, by the way. And, and so there, whether he should have done that or not, um, I would feel uncomfortable with that because on the one hand, God hasn't promised to answer us in that way, the way that he did for the Old Testament people. And on the other hand, um, or on, maybe on that same hand, you know, on one hand, on the other hand, like Tevya, um, at the same time, sometimes God answering, you know, or allowing an answer to be perceived as an answer might be a form of judgment in and of itself. Like you, you put your faith in, um, in this, in this coin flip rather than just making a decision and trusting that God would, that God would bless it. And so you'll reap the results of that, you know, for better or for ill. Um, and so I, I guess that's where I kind of, where I can end up where I think, gambling, gambling for entertainment and gambling to win somebody else's money for myself. Um, I could see where a Christian might say, I'm going to take this hundred dollars that instead of going out to eat, that I'll get the all you can eat buffet over at the Hollywood casino and then spend the other, the other 80 bucks on, on the slots, um, as part of one's entertainment budget. Um, but when it starts to consume the person, um, or when it starts to, you know, get out, of, get out of hand and not as just that segment of the budget, then, then it becomes a real issue. Um, so yeah, the, it, it would be a totally different thing from the, the casting of the lots, you know, like casting a lots at the foot of the cross, that was the Roman soldiers gambling for their pay. Um, casting of the lots, like David asking, should I, should I attack or not? Um, where here's a, a, a a binary answer. It's either A or B. Um, and asking God in a serious way for his answer so that, so that God's will would be done for his people. Um, that was a particular, peculiar circumstance among, among salvation history, I would say. And, uh, and in my opinion, it's, it's fine to leave it there. <laughs> All right. Then we get into the creation of man.
This would be um, continuing with God's creating activity. This would be chapter seven. This gets us into anthropology. Yeah. What's that? Yeah, anthropology, the study of man. And so we've covered, um, you know, part, part one, the prolegomena, uh, the beginning. Um, part two, the study of theology, the study of God. Part three, the study of man. Um, man in the generic there, not to disclude anyone who is not male. At your table, thinking back to Genesis 1 and 2, or looking at what you wrote, if you wrote something, list some proofs from Genesis 1 and 2 that mankind is the crown of God's creation. Yes. All right. In the image of God. What else? God breathed life into him, which, which is kind of when we identify, you know, God, God giving human, God giving man, um, his soul, his immortal soul. Uh, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Rule over the earth and subdue it. Um, and then into Genesis two, Genesis two. So Genesis one gives us the overview of the seven days. Genesis two zooms in on six, the sixth day in particular. What do we remember from Genesis chapter two? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that and that God had um not only formed Adam from the ground, but then in comparison to all the other animals, God said, Let there be. Did I take yours? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And then uh together with that. Um, that, that God gives the command to Adam in, in chapter two, to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and that Adam is entrusted with that fact and supposed to communicate that to his wife when God creates her. So then the creation of Eve, um, echoes the creation of Adam. Um, Eve is created from Adam. And so, you know, that, <laughs> that, that ties in with Romans chapter five, for instance, that God gave the command to Adam and Adam sinned. And in his sin, all people sinned that Eve wasn't created from separate dirt, that she was created also from, from Adam, the same dirt that Adam was made up of. Um, and so Adam's sin also applied to her as well as to, as well as to all people. Anything else? Yeah. Excellent. And so, yeah, as, as an example, um, as an extra and as an exercise in his authority and one might say creativity, um, God told Adam to name all the animals, um, and whatever he called it, that was its name. 
So God had, you know, God had delegated the, the caretaking of the world to Adam and God's like, you're going to name it that. Okay. <laughs> That's yours. <laughs> Your choice. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I guess that's, that's two parts to it. Um, in Genesis two, when, when God brought the animals to Adam to be named, it's not necessary that, that God brought every single type of animal in order to be named. Um, but at least a representative sampling so that Adam could see, you know, this place is perfect, but there is nobody else like me. Um, so that's the purpose that he was driving at. And, uh, and then in Genesis chapter one, we hear about, we use kind of three different divisions, at least for the an land animals. Um, and it's kind of a little bit more broad for the fish and the fowl, but the land animals are the wild animals, um, the domestic domesticated animals, and then all the creepy crawlies. <laughs> so then all the creepy crawlies would be like lizards and, um, and other insects, um, and other bugs, you know, insect bugs that don't, things that don't have six legs. So your arachnids and your, all your millipedes and centipedes and all those. All right. I think the one where we will wrap up characteristics of body and soul. What are the three so-called organs of the soul and how do they function together to make mankind different from other creatures? This is page 165 in your book. Yeah. All right. Talking about emotion as one another, and our will. That's the second. Uh, yeah, and the third one is talking about the ability to reason. Um, that these three things um, together and, yeah, I would say together really um, help to denote the difference between, you know, from an outsider's pr perspective, the difference between humans and others. Um, aside from the fact that God created us with a soul, but that these things are uniquely human. And how do they function together? Talking about emotion, reason, and a will. Yeah. Excellent. So yeah, they work through and with each other. Um, and yeah, fantastic example. Um, Chip and Dan Heath are some, some brothers who write books together. And one of their books is called Switch. And I've used the, the main example of the book because they're talking about how do you, how do you bring change? Um, and the way, the example they used is that, that our emotion and our heart is like an elephant and our reasoning brain is like the rider on top of the elephant. <laughs> and, uh, and th so the rider can make suggestions on where he wants the elephant to go. Um, but eventually that elephant's going to do what it wants. And so, you know, I, I use that maybe more so in talking about, um, you know, in counseling or, or maybe talking about grief that, that grief is often like, you know, and big emotions. It's, it's like an elephant. And logically we know, you know, my loved one is in heaven and our grief is like, but I want to go this way. Um, I want to, I want to stay in my grief and I don't want to listen to what the logical brain, rational human brain is saying. Um, and that's where, you know, repeated contact with the word of God and encouragement from others. And eventually over time, uh, the emotions start to come back in line with what we already know to be true. Um, but that can, you know, the loss of, of a loved one is a very traumatic thing. Um, and so I, I, even in that example, they, they would have, um, 
the example of emotion in the elephant and reason um, being the rider and then the will being the path that the, the elephant would walk on. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think it does talk about also kind of the question of where is your soul? Like I, and my answer to that is, well, I'll answer that when you can, can tell me where your sense of humor lies. <laughs> In that um, your soul is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's about, yeah. <laughs> and that, uh, that, that your soul is what makes, what makes you, you. Your, your personality, your, your sense of humor, your emotion, your reason, and that even though logically, <laughs> how about this one? Logically, we can, separate, we can separate emotion and reason out. That's still our brain telling us that. <laughs> and so, um, so the soul is, is all of those things, and it not only encompasses those things, but it's also how, how the soul tends to express itself um, in in that we are humans with a body and a soul. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and I think to, to clarify that just a little bit, that the soul has those things, um, as that's part of what, part of what the soul is and part of how the soul expresses itself, um, that that soul is just as much there with a, a newborn infant who maybe doesn't have the tools to communicate that expression of, of logic or of, or of emotion or of the will. And that soul is just as much there, um, in middle age or, or later in life. Um, but the question that, that you kind of refer to is, is more about, um, preservation in the faith that the faith is there even when, and this it's similar, but it's different that the faith, that the soul has faith, that the person has faith, even if they can't express it, you know, in the, the infant child who is just baptized or the, the older adult dealing with dementia, who isn't even eligible for communion anymore, that that person can still have faith, um, in that they are preserved in that faith and that every person has a soul up until the point when they, when they die. Death is just the separation of body from soul. Um, and, and so every person has a soul. It's what animates a person, so to speak, <laughs> even, even that word to animate, um, to put it, have a spirit in something. Um, and, and so every person in, in their soul, you know, that they, that they express themselves in logic or reason or in their will and what they do, 
Um, that's, that's part and parcel of being human, not just, not just of being Christian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'll be another question. Um, one of what, <laughs> this, the, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, the, this will wrap us up for tonight. Um, that, that there are, there are people, even people who had once been confirmed as, as, as believers who at some point in life, either for a temporary time or maybe for you know, the rest of their life, um, are not eligible for communion. And so we, rec we, we recognize this already, that you know, children aren't eligible for communion because they have been instructed. And, um, and unbelievers or people outside of our fellowship aren't, instruct aren't eligible for communion because they also haven't been instructed. And that the conditions for communion um, are that you are united in faith and that you are able to examine yourself that you're able to examine yourself according to the doctrine of the word of God. So you have to know the doctrine, you have to know the setting, and you have to have this ability to examine oneself. So we don't commune somebody who's in a coma. Um, I don't commune somebody on their deathbed if I can't get through like, you know, a bare minimum of the, of the liturgy that we always go through. Um, we don't commune infants or, or children. And if somebody um, has lost a substantial portion of their mental capabilities, then, then I don't commune them. Um, and that being said, there, there are times or when they have a good day or you start going through the liturgy and it's like, they just kind of click in and it's like, oh, all right, then they might be. Yeah. Next time we'll pick it up with the image of God. Thank you very much.